Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we have the honor of uh, having Dr. Bruce Ames. And many of you may have heard of him before, especially if you're involved in, involved in science because he developed the famous Ames test, which is a system for easily and cheaply uh, testing the mutagenicity of compounds and it's widely used. He is currently a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley. And he's a senior scientist at the Children's Hospital and Oakland Research Institute. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, likewise. So today we're going to, you published many, many articles, but uh, you've taken a shift in recent years from your work in mutagenicity and have really focused on pro prolonging healthy aging. And you wrote an article in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that was published in October on longevity vitamins and proteins. So I'd like to discuss that with you now because in that paper you propose that the optimal level of many vitamins, you've discussed about 30 or so of the essential vitamins and minerals, uh, and about 11 others may not be what that's the, the optimal level for those vitamins may not be sufficient for longevity as the, the levels required to de, to diminish disease may not be the same as to optimize longevity. So maybe if we can start there and you can expand on that. So back in 2006, I was getting interested in vitamins. Mm -hmm. I, was, I worked on mitochondria, which are the organelles in the cell, which make all your ATP, the high energy molecule that drives your metabolism. But one of the side effects is it bleeds out oxidants. And oxidants are mutagenic, they can damage DNA among and they can damage protein and other things. Just like radiation. Radiation, the, some of the same substances come from your own mitochondria, and it decays with age. Anyway, I was thinking, gee, if vitamin C and vitamin E do all those good things, I wonder about the other vitamins. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about it, and it occurred to me that the body is becoming deficient in vitamins all the time because people don't eat such good diets. Mm -hmm. They fill themselves up with sugary soft drinks and empty carbohydrates, which don't have any vitamins. And you need 30 different vitamins and minerals. Uh, magnesium, calcium, iron, zinc. You can't make a mineral. You have to get it from the diet. And same thing with vitamins. Mm -hmm. So anyway, an idea popped into my head and I published a paper about it, purely theoretical, that when nature, each vitamin might be in, is in many proteins. Zinc is in 2000 proteins, magnesium is in 500 proteins. So, and some are only in 20 and the, the least, Biotin is only in five. Anyway, there's this range of number of proteins. And so what I postulated is that when the cell became short of a vitamin, 
it did a rationing. And what it did is put it into those protein enzymes that are essential for survival. And it starved all the ones that are preventing you getting cancer and heart disease, all the ones that have cancers accumulating mutations. Well, that takes a long time. So it doesn't, the cancer doesn't show up till 10 or 15 years down the road. So what you're doing is trading long-term health for short-term health. So you may look perfectly okay, but if you're not eating a good diet, you're aging yourself faster. Okay, so, the, so that was the idea, and I called it triage. Sure. On the battlefield, the French doctors, there weren't enough doctors, and lots of wounded soldiers came in in the First World War 100 years ago, and the doctors divided the soldiers into three groups. Those that are gonna get better anyway, those that are gonna die anyway, and those where their medicine could help a little bit. And so they picked the third where they could make a difference. Now that was triage, but I should have called mine biage, but the word triage is known so, and has come to have a wider meaning. So I call this theory triage. It's great. And then Joyce McCann in my lab, who's a terrific scientist, mm -hmm. uh, said, let's test this. Let's look in the literature on two vitamins, one vitamin and one mineral that's not too complicated. Think you'd spend the rest of your life in the library. Uh, and she picked vitamin K, which is involved with 16 proteins. And she picked selenium um, mineral that's only involved with 25 proteins. And those, she, in nine months, she could get a scientific paper out showing that both of them have this triage system built in. It's easy to explain for vitamin K, because vitamin, lots of the vitamin K proteins are involved with blood clotting. And blood clotting is clearly essential for survival, otherwise you'd cut yourself and bleed to death. So, uh, and there are a whole handful of proteins that are vitamin K dependent proteins that involve blood clotting. The lows get it first. And the ones that get starved are the ones that are preventing cancer or heart disease. So, sure. it, and osteoporosis too. Yeah. And then I, I'm assuming you're referring to vitamin K2 as opposed to K1? Yeah. Okay, great. So, now, uh, my new paper that just came out, Prolonging Healthy Aging, what that shows is that this is going to be a major factor in aging because we're eating horrible diets. I have a list here of all the, uh, I don't remember them all, but the- I, I but, can, you, you, you rank order them in your paper. Uh, you listed vitamin D, that 70% of the people were deficient, yeah, but it really depends upon of the, of which, uh, which, which, which indexes you're using for, or criteria you're using for sufficiency, because some so, people believe it's probably 85 or 90% of people are deficient. So well, the committees set up two numbers. Yeah. RDA, which you all know about, recommended dietary amount, and that's put in, that's the number in your packages of potato chips or whatever you're buying. And EAR is the primary 
number they come up with. And that's where half the country is deficient in the volume and half has enough. That's called the estimated average requirement. So that's the key number because they set the RDA two standard deviations above that. So if you're below the EAR, you're in trouble. You're deficient officially. Well, 70% of the US doesn't get enough vitamin D based on this EAR number. And 60% doesn't get enough vitamin E. And 45% doesn't get enough magnesium. And you go down the list. Now, vitamin D, which I'm working on now, is not from your food, it's from the sun. It's called the sunshine vitamin because the ultraviolet light in the sun, in the skin, will convert a cholesterol derivative to vitamin D. And it's a really important steroid hormone. The 2,700 sites in the genome where vitamin D either turns on a gene or turns off a gene that's coded in this sequence. So you really don't want to be low in vitamin D. And 70% of the population, which is mostly white, is deficient. Well, if, uh, I, if I can interject here for a moment. A you know, dark, if I can just inter simply interject, there, just for cl slight clarification, because you're citing the EAR as the criteria, but if you look at many of the epidemiological studies and review and you, and you look at other sufficiency approaches, I, I believe the ranges should be the 60, 80 uh, nano, nanograms per milliliter. And, and by those standards, we were looking at probably somewhere to 85 to 90% of the population are deficient. So it's even worse than you're citing. Well, the ER... EAR, the committees don't take into account this long-term stuff. They're just right. saying you get scurvy or you get very, very, and you die. Mm -hmm. And in any case, what nature wants you to do is reproduce. So it selects for those, that amount that'll keep you alive so you can reproduce. And, it, and if the cancer isn't going to come for 10 or 15 years, Nature says the hell with it because we want you to survive now. And that's the trade-off. Okay, anyway, great. Um, it's pretty depressing looking at the percentage of the US that's deficient in this vitamin or that vitamin or that mineral. And plus, if they take long-term effects into account, I think it may be even a higher percentage. Yes, and yes, indeed. So I, I uh, not a vitamin or a mineral, but you uh, address somewhat in your paper is, is the essential fatty acids, which like vitamins and minerals, we can't make, and that's why they're called essential. Right. So, yeah. is, so those are very important. Yeah, they're so what's your, what's your take on that? Well, the, the omega-6s and the omega-3s, which mm -hmm. the, the omega means the double bond is near the end. Anyway, uh, so omega-3s are very important in the brain. We need both of them. And, but our cooking oils are mostly omega-6s, so we're all, and body cares about the ratio, so we're all, all deficient, mostly deficient, unless you eat a lot of fish, in omega-3s. Fish is a very good source of omega-3s. 
and my former postdoc, Rhonda Patrick, mm -hmm. just had a beautiful paper showing that the genetic causes of Alzheimer's disease, it's a, a gene called ApoE4. And if you have that one copy of that gene, you have three times the risk of Alzheimer's. And if you have two copies, you have 15 times the risk. And if you have one copy and you get a concussion, then you're going to get Alzheimer's. So it's really important. And she worked out the mechanism that it's to do with transporting omega-3 fatty acids into the brain as the fatty acid. And that the blood brain barrier deteriorates with age. So by the time you get old, like me, I'm going to be 90 next month. Mm -hmm. um, you're, the system for bringing that into the brain isn't working very well. And she marshals the evidence that that's what's causing Alzheimer's. And if you have two copies of the gene, it's 15 times the risk. So, but uh, play teams like football and uh, things where you're battering up and getting concussions often, they should screen out the people who have ApoE4 because that's, they're really at risk of getting Alzheimer's. Anyway, that's another matter. Sure. So yeah, congratulations on your, on your personal longevity. My dad was born two weeks before you and he passed away earlier this year. And uh, you know, it's very obvious you have really high mental acuity. So you're doing something right. And I'm wondering if you've personally applied your recommendations in the paper you just wrote. Well, I married an Italian wife. <laughs> a wonderful Mediterranean diet, but I take lots of vitamins. Now, people in nutrition really don't like supplements so much. They say, eat a good, varied diet like you sure. Eat your greens. And magnesium's in the center of the chlorophyll molecule. So mm -hmm. nature color-coded it green. Magnesium isn't green, of course. And so you eat a big plate of spinach or coal uh, or kale. You get in your magnesium. And also folic acid comes from the Latin word folia, which means leaf. Mm -hmm. My mentor at Caltech first isolated folic acid from four tons of spinach. So was, wasn't it folate or isn't folic acid the synthetic version? No, a folate just means the um, salt and folic acid is the acid. It's, okay. Get I, I was confused and sorry. Anyway, it's an important vitamin and it's in your greens. So, and greens have other good things. And fish, you should eat more fish and less meat. You don't have to be a fanatic about it or vegan, but uh, fish is really healthy. Japanese are the longest live large population in the world. I was at a scientific meeting in Okinawa, which is the longest live province in Japan, and it's crawling with centenarians. Yeah, yes, indeed. So I, I have some specific questions about some of the vitamins, because you, you mentioned some of them earlier, magnesium, calcium, vitamin K2, I'm assuming your vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc, B6, and folate. So, um, we got. I'm wondering what your position is on the phosphorylated versions of these vitamins, like like riboflavin or vitamin B6, pyridoxine. And do you feel that there's any benefit? The reason I ask is, 
just from a molecular biological perspective, the phosphorylated uh, forms have a charge on them. And it's difficult, even though that's what the body uses, ultimately it has to phosphorylate it to make it bioactive. But if it's phosphorylated before it gets into the cell, is that a problem because it, because it has a charge and it can't penetrate the cell membrane easily? Well, the transport systems are designed to recognize the unphosphorylated form mm -hmm. and bring it in. So but it'll, it'll do some splitting of the phosphorylated form so it's more slowly absorbed, but the, that form itself isn't absorbed very all right, so you don't take any phosphorylated first. Do you ever think there's a need for them? Okay, that, you know, just from, just from a science perspective, it makes no sense, even though it's pretty widely promoted in many nutritional circles to take the phosphorylated forms. So people in nutrition really look down on supplements a bit, but I'm, it's so complicated, the 30 vitamins and minerals you need, and I just proposed another 11 of them. So. Uh, and the more to be discovered. Mm -hmm. And so I think in 10 years, you're going to be sticking your finger in a machine and get a finger prick of blood, and that machine will analyze everything and tell you, oh, you're low in magnesium, eat some greens. Or you're low in something else, eat that. Uh, or take a pill. Mm -hmm. anyway, so there's a lot of pills is insurance. Yes, indeed. I'm that's a wise, that's that's a wise strategy. I'm not saying that's why I'm 90, but I've eaten a good diet all my life. Okay, there's an interesting amino acid that seems that you discussed in your paper that we talked about on our site, which is ergothionine. It's primarily produced in mushrooms. And uh, I think, I believe you'd categorize it as conditionally essential. So can you describe that in more detail? Yeah. So. So some vitamins come from just a few sources and ergothionine is something that's not officially called a vitamin, though a few people have suggested it ought to be. It wasn't, I wasn't the first one. And it does some useful things in the body. So it happens to come from fungi and mushrooms. That's about what I want to say on it. Okay. So do you take ergothionine regularly? Uh, no, but uh, I eat mushrooms. Okay, eat mushrooms. So you're taking it by the food source, which is, yeah. you know, pretty much the ideal. There, I don't think that, you know, I, I was tried looking that up on Amazon to see if someone meant to produce an ergothionine supplement, but they don't. You can get them, but they're just essentially mushroom extracts, which is great. Uh, and then you, there are, um, you don't really discuss this in your paper, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on glycine and NAC or uh, N-acetylcysteine because of the importance of glutathione as an essential uh, antioxidant, intracellular antioxidants in the body to, to address some of the ravages the, of oxidative the stress. Key, the key amino acid in glutathione is cysteine which mm -hmm. is a sulfur-containing amino acid, and it's a relatively uncommon amino acid in protein. All proteins have a bit, but they may have one molecule or two molecules. Anyway, that's important because we need that for all sorts of things, and the body converts that to taurine, 
which it decarboxylates the cystathione and oxidizes the sulf sulfhydryl to a sulfonic acid. So mm -hmm. it's a very strong acid across from an amino group. And that compound has a lot of literature saying it's really good for you. There's a gram of it per kilo of body. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of it in the body, but we don't seem to quite be able to make enough in some people, particularly if they're low in cysteine. So um, I say maybe we should call that a vitamin too. Sure. Do you, do you uh, just recommend or prefer cysteine or the acetyl version of uh, cysteine, which is NAC? You take an acetyl cysteine, which people sell. Okay. You could take taurine, which is available as a supplement too. Does it, but I thought you said the cysteine converts to taurine. Does it, does it do the reverse? Does taurine convert to cysteine? No. Okay, I don't think so. So if you're sufficient in cysteine, does that mean you don't need a taurine supplement? Yeah, if your metabolism is all okay. Okay, that's what, that's what I thought. Because, that's, because of, you talk a lot about taurine in your paper, so. There are a lot of polymorphisms, which are alternate forms of the gene that have been selected in the population, just the way APOE4, a quarter of the population has it. Maybe it helps your mind when you're young or whatever, no one quite knows why. But so um, Rhonda Patrick, who is a former student of mine, mm -hmm. has a blog where she, you can download your 23andMe mm -hmm. results on that and any nutritional polymorphism that people have figured out where you can change your diet to improve the symptoms, uh, she'll tell you what that is and what to do. Yeah. That's so many that have been worked out, maybe. Yeah, that, that's a great start, but that still only gives you a potential because just because you have the, potent, the SNP doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have a problem. But what I've learned is that to look at the, the meta metabolomics and if you do something like a urine organic acid test and you can see what your specific SNPs and metabolisms are doing with those, then you can get a, a clearer picture of what's going on and you know, really, I think, more accurate and precise recommendations. Yeah, it is complicated. And a lot of the genetic changes are due to nutrition because we need so many things. and mm -hmm. uh, and just the way skin color has to do with latitude. Mm -hmm. And you can have a latitude mismatch. If you have a dark skin, it's harder for you to make vitamin D. And if you have a light skin and you move to near the equator, you're gonna get fried. So a lot of Irish move to Australia and you don't have to tell them because the first time they go out, they get sunburned and mm -hmm. they don't like it, so they wear a hat and cover themselves with sunscreen. But in the trop tropics, it's adjusted so you can make enough vitamin D and then your skin is dark enough to filter out the rest. So that's all done automatically. and You don't have to worry about it. The white skin is needed up north because mm -hmm. you're getting so little vitamin D. Yeah, it's just less of a filter for the ultraviolet B. But yeah. in addition, as, as you wisely mentioned, we need the, the ideal is not to be swallowing oral vitamin D every day. It's just to be exposed as much of your skin 
as, se as sensibly possible to the sun uh, when it's at the right time of year. Uh, I personally have not taken any oral vitamin D for 10 years in my and my vitamin D levels are in the optimum range. So it's because I have sun exposure, but not in addition to the UVB, you get UVA. UVA makes nitric oxide in your body through an interesting mechanism. And then also you have the near infrared, which can catalyze mitochondrial function and make the production of ATP more efficient. Yeah, I won't argue with you on that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So what I, I've, I was really, one of my passions now is these, are these phytochemicals. And you note in your paper that there's over 8,000 different flavonoids, which is incredible. And uh, there's a lot of interest in these polyphenols and what they can offer for human health. But you don't seem to be too enthusiastic about them and certainly don't classify them as vitamins. So I'm wondering if you What's could get, share your perspective with them because I think they, they offer a lot of benefits, you know, things like sulforaphane and some of these other... I wrote a paper about that. So every plant has to make pesticides. These are nature's pesticides. So each plant has 50 or 100 toxic chemicals to kill beetles that are eating it and to kill you if you're mm -hmm. the main predator. So, uh, and some of those are harmful and some might do some good to people, but it's very complicated. And I, I tend to steer away from fields uh -huh. that are so complicated. <laughs> so I thought vitamins and minerals is an easier field to sort out. Okay, so that's the approach. Now the mystery is revealed because of the enormous complexity you chose to let alone. I would tend to disagree with that because I've been diving deep into the literature and you know, most, most of the research hasn't been done. We're just the tip of the iceberg. And, yeah. You know, 8,000 8, different flavonoids, and they've only done research on a relatively small minority of that. And who knows what the interactions and complications are. So that's why you avoided it and just restricted it to the more well-studied well, part um, of vitamins and minerals. Being a good scientist is know what problems are solvable. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get mired in complexity and never get out. Yeah. Well, that's some sage advice, and you've certainly been doing this for a while. When did you publish your first paper? I graduated Cornell with a bachelor's in 1950 and went to Caltech for graduate school. Because I was always interested in genetics. And I majored in biochemistry, so I took all the genetic courses. And at that time, biochemical genetics was just getting going. And I was interested in that. And Caltech was the center of that. So oh, okay. Caltech. And then I got my PhD in 1953, three years later. My thesis went really fast. I was lucky. And uh, so I left for, at age 24 with my PhD and went to National Institutes of Health. And oh. I stayed there for 15 years or something like that. And, 1967, it was a great place to work. Mm -hmm. And in 1967, I got an offer from Berkeley to come as a full professor. And I liked California for my Caltech days and sure. packed up my family and kids and went off to Berkeley. And I just retired in 2000, but I was bored stiff retiring and I still had lots of big ideas. So I moved to Ch uh, Children's Hospital of Oakland. Now it's merged with UCSF. 
So it's a Benioff, UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital. Anyway, there's one in San Francisco and our old one in Oakland. Interesting. So, uh, you know, nowadays Caltech has a reputation for being the epicenter of uh, engineering. Uh, it, it didn't have much of a reputation back in the 50s, or it was more, more... Uh, no, it was always known as a good place, it, but it was small, and so they had to focus on a few fields. Okay. But they had first-rate geneticists. So when, were, when did you do your work on the mutagenic, mutagenicity test? Uh, well, I started that when I was at National Institute of Health, and okay. then in Berkeley, had a lot of undergraduates who wanted to work in the lab and I had them work on it. I'm wondering if you've, uh, with your interest in nutrition, if you've looked at NAD, which is a uh, derivative of vitamin B3 or niacin. I mean, it has niacin right yeah, in the middle. It's a very important co yes. coenzyme in the mm -hmm. metabolism. But so, are you doing anything special? Because NAD sufficiency it appears to be important for supplying an enzyme called PARP, which is poly-ADP ribose polymerase, which is believed to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from literature is believed to be one of the primary repair mechanisms for damaged DNA, which you talked about earlier. Well, there are 50 enzymes cruising along your DNA looking for trouble, and they see a bump that shouldn't be there, mm -hmm. cut it out and fill in uh, versus and that helps repair the DNA. Mm -hmm. So they all require magnesium, so magnesium is going to be important in all of that. So, and 45% of the population is low in magnesium. Now, it hasn't been worked out, but I suspect that magnesium deficiency gives you more mutations. So what about the niacin to, to uh make sure that you're taking enough so that you can have a sufficiency yeah, of NAD coenzyme because you know you, we have about nine grams in our body and fortunately we have a very effective salvage pathway which recycles most of it but it's still if you're abusing your body especially with these exposures to EMF and other forms of oxidative stress which causes the DNA damage and causes depletion of uh, NAD through PARP uh, cons consumption then it may be wise to consider some type of augmentation program. Well, fortification is something the government uses. So they fortify milk and orange juice with a little vitamin D, but it's not nearly enough. And particularly if you have a dark skin. So I think all dark skinned people should take some vitamin D. Yeah, no question. Getting enough UV to make their vitamin D. Well, how about the B3 for the, for the DNA repair we were talking about? Yeah, so all these vitamins we need enough. There are lots of them, as I say, 30 known ones now, uh, vitamins and essential minerals. And I proposed another 11, and then they, I'm, still, I'm sure there are more to be discovered. So it is complicated, but that's why uh, industry is going to develop tools that we can analyze your blood cheaply. And tune you up. Okay, so you mentioned uh, fortification. Uh, I got off the track. So fortification is useful and 
a number of vitamins of fortified in milk or in other things, and that's a good thing, but the government is a monopoly and tends to be sort of sleepy, and so they don't get updated often enough to get them. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Now, you mentioned in your book, or your paper rather, the, uh, the importance of uh, carotenoids and things like xanthine, zeaxanthine, lutein, uh, and actually astaxanthin. And I'm wondering uh, if you believe if if you have a sufficiency of astaxanthin or supplementing that in high amounts, because that's not it's typically only found in seafood. It's it's an algae derivative, and it's unusual eating enough seafood to have you know a few milligrams in your diet. But if, do you think that sufficient levels of astaxanthin would be enough to compensate for some of the other carotenoid deficiencies? That isn't known really. Uh, mm -hmm. They're good people working on carotenoids, but people don't think of them as vitamins. So in the back of your eye, you have a little yellow spot, which has lutein and zeaxanthine, which are mm -hmm. two different carotenoids. And then carotenoids uh, are split to make vitamin A if they have the right structure. And anyway, it's an interesting field. And uh, there are about six or seven of them uh, in human blood in reasonable amounts, and those are presumably the ones we need, but another one might be able to substitute for a particular one. We don't understand all the chemistry. Okay. Now you also- Astaxanthine, the Japanese get lots of that. And mm -hmm. so with their diet of a lot of fish and seafood, they would have astaxanthine, but we don't eat much fish here. So mm -hmm. we don't have, measurable levels in our blood as far as that. Unless you supplement. You could supplement, yeah. yeah, yeah. And now whether astaxanthine will displace some of the other ones or whether if you eat a good berry diet, you have enough of all the carotenoids is enough. Okay. So you also talk about choline and from my perspective, I think you downplay it because I think it's more important than you imply in your paper because it's so crucial for uh, detoxification of all these fat-soluble uh, toxins that we're exposed to on a regular basis. So I'm wondering if you could uh, discuss that for a moment. I'm not an expert on choline, but it has been proposed to be a vitamin, and I think they've added it to the list. Yeah, yeah, choline. Even though we can make some, we don't make enough. And that's a class of vitamins that may turn out to be common. Yeah, usually as choline is, you could take it as a supplement, but it's typically in the form of a phospholipid. So the, the yeah. primary one would be phosphatidylcholine, and one of the primary sources of that in the normal diet would be simply egg yolks. Not egg whites, egg yolks. That's, it's, well, and, Rhonda, in her paper on Alzheimer's, showed that you can get omega-3s into the brain when it's attached to phosphatidylcholine. There's a separate yes. transport system for that. Fish oil doesn't work, but but krill would. Omega three attached to phosphatidylcholine goes in like a shot, and yeah. so that's so good. why krill works. And what fish eggs? That's the main same form. thing. So same thing. Fish eggs are expensive, so but salmon eggs and herring eggs. And sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you for inspiring Rhonda to. 
and educate people about that because essentially because of her massive education, it's essential. I haven't had fish roe for almost a year because she's exhausted the supply from one of the few vendors out there. But nevertheless, I think you, you're able to replicate that. The, many of the benefits, as you mentioned, from krill, and I take about 10 krill oil a day because they, it has a relatively smaller amount of EPA and DHA, but, but half of that capsule is a phospholipid. And as you mentioned, I mean, you're gonna get far better penetration and even into the brain, which is really hard to get those uh, omega-3s into. So it's just a magnificent transport mechanism. She shows a lot in her new paper. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna to have to interview her for that new paper. She's really good. She has a blog with, where she interviews science. Sure. I know, yeah, Found My Fitness, it's a, it's a good one. It's called foundmyfitness.com. Right. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, thanks for helping uh, catalyze her magnificent contribution to the field and educating us about these. Things. I was disappointed she didn't go into research scientists because she's so good, but she performs a very useful purpose. Yeah, education is powerful. Education. Yes. So, and we, and we need these translators, people who've been in the lab, have the technical skill sets and can understand the science from a, from a technical perspective and then translate it for those who, who haven't had that training. So it's foundmyfitness.com. Yes, right. So if you have any, do you have any new projects on your plate now? Any new exciting theories that you want to elaborate on and do a little research? Well, I'm working on a paper with a friend on uh, called Latitude Mismatch. On wow, vitamin D. On vitamin D. Why dark-skinned people ought to pop a vitamin D pill. And they're cheap. It's a few pennies. And uh, the tiny pills, because they're not making enough vitamin D. And yeah. we're trying to see whether that'll explain. African-Americans have higher rates of certain birth defects and as well as uh, more cancer and more heart disease. And I think vitamin D might explain a lot. There's no question. It's actually been known for some time. I've been uh, teaching people that for like the last 20 years uh, because the epidemiological evidence is quite profound and uh, you know, yeah, and interestingly, vitamin D is the least expensive supplement on the market, at least from the cost of raw materials perspective. But it's even cheaper if you get it from the sun. It's free. Yeah, it's if you play tennis every morning with your shirt off, you're probably okay, even yeah. in northern climate. But uh, we're pretty far north, the United States. And yeah, well, you're, you're up near San Francisco, so it's kind of hard. You know, you're not getting a significant portion of the year. Southern Cal, you may get more, or if you're in the mountains, unless you were in the mountains of San Francisco, because elevation will also help, because you could be pretty far north, but if you're at 8,000 foot or even 10,000 foot, then you have less atmosphere to filter out the UVB, so you're getting quite a bit. You can even get it most of the winter if you're high enough up. So skin color around the world is all latitude, and so that's what it's all about, the, the two factors getting burnt by the ultraviolet light and mm -hmm. making vitamin D from the ultraviolet Yeah, it's also really useful for suppressing autoimmune diseases. And there's a powerful correlation between latitude that you mentioned and these autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis. 
and you know there's almost epidemics of that in Canada and northern Canada compared to the U.S. So I point out in my paper that nutrients aren't drugs. If you give a do a clinical trial on a drug, nobody has it. But if you do it with a nutrient, maybe half the population has it, and it washes out your study. So they're all negative. Mm -hmm. You have to measure it at the beginning and not test it on people who have enough, and then measure it at the end to make sure you gave enough to raise the level to the right levels. And over the years, the right level has been creeping up a little bit. So it used to be 20, then it became 30, and now it's probably going to end up around 50. But every day, the 10 new vitamins. You're talking D about the levels of vitamin D is considered sufficient? Pardon? You're referring to the sufficiency levels of vitamin D? Yeah. Nanograms per milliliter? Yeah, nanograms per mil. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, well, used to be, you are right. Last century before 2000, it was 20, and that was only to prevent rickets. They didn't understand or appreciate the benefit, the other benefits of vitamin D is in heart disease and, and cancer. And it's known to be involved with bone development. That was what rickets was about. Yeah, but, that's, that confused yeah, people. For a long time. have stronger bones than whites, and yet they're much more deficient in vitamin D. So that confused everybody, and they thought, well, maybe they don't need vitamin D. But it turns out they probably do. And as I say, vitamin D is turning on and off 2,700 genes. It's a hugely important uh, substance. And yeah. every day there are new diseases that it's been linked to. Well, ultimately, you know, my conclusion is that vitamin D is a marker. It's a marker for healthy exposure to the sun which is the way you're supposed to get it. And if you have healthy vitamin D levels and you're getting other benefits from the sun that you would, you can't, it's impossible to get from swallowing a vitamin D pill. Now, if you don't have access to the sun for whatever reason, and there are many, then, you know, this the lesser of two evils is to swallow the vitamin D pill. But ideally you want to get it from the sun and never get burned. I won't argue with that. There are other things. That's why epidemiology is so complicated. Yes, absolutely. Epidemiologist joke is Miami's a weird place. Everybody's born Hispanic and dies Jewish. <laughs> so, yeah. The elderly Jews from New York moved down to Florida, and the Hispanics are having lots of children. Yes, indeed. But, all right. Well, it looks like you're busy there with all your research. Uh, your table is full of papers that you're reading, which is terrific to see. Is still active in. Engaged well, in the learning I process. Is, I'm forgetting lots of things. And uh, at 90, one isn't as sharp as. You know, one of the, let, me, let, me, let me recommend a nutrient for you for forgetfulness that I, I just came back from a conference two days ago and uh, what there was a whole lecture on how to improve your memory. And one of the nutrients, and maybe you can, maybe you've looked at this, I don't know, but it's acetylcarnitine. Uh, which seems to be pretty, not regular L-carnitine, but acetyl L-carnitine acetyl L-carnitine, uh, but you need enough. You need like 2,000 to 2,500 milligrams per day, and it doesn't work like in a day or two. It takes a few weeks before you notice a difference. So I published a paper on acetylcarnitine in the park as improving mitochondrial health some years. Absolutely, but it may help memory function too. Well, I hope so. Are you taking that at all? Uh, I take carnitine. 
and lipoic acid, yes. I, I take lots of vitamins as sort of an insurance. Sure, maybe you want to add acetyl L-carnitine at, at like two and a half grams a day and see what happens to that memory function. I don't take that much. Well, you might want to add it. Might be some, or look it up in the research. There's some pretty compelling research. You know, there's been mostly the Italians are doing it. So, um, interesting, interesting studies on that, though. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to add today, Dr. Ames? No, I'm having fun doing my science, but it does take longer when you're. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your time today.